Why me? At some point in time, all of us have asked that rhetorical question. And oftentimes, we have done it aloud. Uh, you're late for work, you're climbing to your car, and you realize you have a flat tire. Uh, why me? Or you have a very important presentation at work tomorrow or at school tomorrow, and you come down with a sudden cold the night before. Or you dress up for an event, and as soon as you get to the place, somebody bumps into you and spills his drink over your new attire. Yep, we ask, why me? And we ask, why me? Because we're frustrated, particularly about trivial stuff. However, sometimes when life turns gray and things are so difficult, we also ask, why me? Because life sometimes conspires against us and just brings suffering to our bodies and souls. When somebody faces sudden unemployment at an age where it's almost impossible to jumpstart a new career, you ask, why me? When one of our loved ones suffers a sudden crisis and the solutions to the crisis are just beyond our grasp, we ask, why me? Or we receive a sudden diagnosis of a devastating disease, we also tend to ask, why me? It is indeed natural to ask, why me? Particularly when we are frustrated. But it is spiritually dangerous to dwell on that feeling. Because when we are asking, why me? We are implying several issues. For example, we are implying that we should not be enduring this pain. That we do not deserve this, that this is simply unfair. Moreover, the why me is addressed to someone. And who is that tacit enemy to whom we complain? Who is sending this undeserved punishment? And there's only one answer. God. When somebody throws his or her hands into the air, looks up and says, why me? It's a complaint to God. Or to whatever spiritual force the person understands that's ruling the universe. In that sense, it's very clear that when someone is asking, why me? is complaining to God. And you've heard that sometimes this becomes more elaborate. And people go into a rant. Why me? I am a good person. I harm no one. Why am I facing this problem now? And the doozy, the one that I really, really, really hate. Why can't this happen to bad people? <laughs> Why can't it happen to them others, whatever, in whichever way you this. You, you define them people. Why doesn't it happen to rapists and drug dealers and child molesters and it has to happen to me? Well, of course the implication is that good people should never suffer and that bad people should be allotted 
punishment for their wickedness. And as a local pastor, I hear this time and again. Time and again, people wander into my office. Why me? Or sometimes you are in situations that are very dire. We had a lady at our church who died. She was gravely ill. But she had a time where she got better. And when she was doing better, suddenly she died in less than a week. And her older daughter wandered into my office, grabbed her, grabbing her mama's Bible in her hand. She just slammed the Bible over the conference table and said to me, I, I've done everything this book says and my mama still died. This is worthless. And she stormed out of the church never to return. On that occasion, I remained silent out of respect for her pain. But I'm not always silent. <laughs> there are times when you go to the office looking for the long-suffering pastor and you get me instead. <laughs> you get the short fuse one. And this happened to another person who went to my office saying, why me? And I suddenly blurted out, why not you? I mean, why not you? The person was stunned with my response, but she had opened the Pandora's box. Now she had to endure my rant. Why not you? Why should you, of all people in this world, be exempted from suffering? Everybody suffers, and not you. Why? What makes you so special? I might have added an adjective there. <laughs> the fact is that everybody suffers. Everybody gets sick. Everybody eventually dies. Life is tough for everyone. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Ask Tiger Woods. He was close to having a billion dollars in the bank and his life collapsed. He became a joke. And those drug dealers and child molesters and bad people are someone's son, are someone's brother, are someone's daddy. Sometimes we say, why me, out of a shallow theology of success. And I remember that day when I asked, why not you? And I told the person, you see, uh, I grew up without a dad. My mom died young when she was 38 and I was 14. I got that diagnosed with thyroid cancer 30 days after my little one was born. Life is tough for everyone. And if everyone suffers, why not you? I know people of deep faith who have endured horrible things. They have raised children with chronic health issues. They have become the main caregivers of elderly parents. They have been abandoned, uh, abandoned by their spouses for no good reason. Everybody suffers. All of us are a doc, uh, 
a visit to the doctor away from also saying, why me? So, if people of deep faith can also endure unsurmountable problems, why shouldn't we endure them too? Trials and tribulations are not good, but force us to mature and to do it fast, much faster than we want. However, they also for, force us to face our shortcomings, because in reality, all of us are flawed. All of us are flawed, and the Bible describes that as our sinful condition. We all have a tendency to privilege ourselves over others. We all have a tendency to harm others in the process of looking for our own well-being. We all tend to think our, of ourselves as little gods and goddesses who should have the right to rule their little fiefdoms and disregard God's existence or, or authority whenever it suits us. But there are good news. Is that God knows our flaws and still loves us. Even in our sinful condition, God loves us. And even in our sinful condition, God calls us to ministry, to share good news, to do great things for God as a partner, as a partner and as an accomplice. And it's great to have God as an accomplice of your feats. When we feel God's call, we also ask, why me? This time, not from a position of entitlement, but from a position of humility. Why me? I'm flawed, Lord. I ain't perfect. Sometimes I feel like an imposter. Are you sure you're calling me? But God's call continues to hammer our souls. Saying, it's you. With all your flaws, it is you. The one that I need for this task. Isaiah endured a similar situation. According to the chapter 6 of Isaiah, the vision of God's glory only deepened his sense of inadequacy. God calls him, and the whole scene is majestic. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, the edges of his robe filling the temple. Winged creatures were stationed around him. Each had six wings. With two, they veiled their faces. With two, their feet. With two, they flew about. They shouted to each other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. The door frame shook with the sound of their shouting, and the house was filled with smoke. And what is the reaction of the prophet? Yay, it's great to be here. Those cherubims are awesome. His reaction was like, mourn for me. I am ruined. I am a man with unclean lips. 
and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heavenly forces. Isaiah's first reaction was, I'm not fit for ministry. And he was totally right. Because no one is fit for ministry. None of us. There's only one true Christian minister, and that is Jesus the Christ. And those of us who dare to call ourselves ministers are nothing but helpers of the one and true eternal minister. We share in his ministry. But he is the one who calls us and empowers us and prepares us and sends us to do our share in his ministry. In spite of our many flaws, God not only calls us to ministry, but also equips us to serve with loving kindness, knowing that we should always act out of a sense of humility, knowing that we don't deserve this honor. But God doesn't allow us to remain with those feelings of inadequacy. God empowers us for ministry. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth and said, See? This has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. And it was that deep spiritual experience that forced Isaiah to respond positively, saying, I am here. Send me. This divine action, initiated by God out of sheer love, equipped and empowered the prophet to become one of the most important theologians in the history of salvation. Why me? You have asked why me. I have asked why me. All of us have asked God, why me? We have struggled with God. We have pondered calls to ministry. We have struggled with feelings of inadequacy. We have felt unfit for ministry. But the struggle is over. Because today God reaffirms our calls. God is willing to burn away all our doubts and to call us to ministry again asking, whom should I send and who will go for us. And it is our privilege with humility and enthusiasm to respond with joy. I'm here, send me. Mm -hmm.